today's show, I'll be speaking to Darren Colley, once dubbed the fastest sick person in the world. We'll be discussing his battles with kidney failure and how sport has helped him through some really tough times. Oh, welcome to the show, Darren. How are you? I'm great, James. I'm great. Really good. Good to see you. It's been a while. It has, yeah. We've uh, we've had a few experiences together now a few years back, and uh, life has gotten in the way of everybody in interaction, I suppose, the last two years. When you're talking to a person, you can actually feel that somebody has something about them. And it's only when Darren obviously shared his story with me, then I realized uh, what that actual something was. So if you want to share a little bit about your, your, your story first, Darren? Okay, yeah. Living here in the West of Ireland, I was one of these really sporty guys at school I, I love sports I did boxing rugby Gaelic soccer handball racquetball my father was big into rugby played a few games with Connacht even and well I uh, most people think the main reason I was into sport is that I have four sisters so obviously you okay. do anything you can to get out of the house because I have no brothers just myself so I was big into sport I ended up going to college in England doing a degree in sports and fitness studies and really, to cut a long story short, I started to get headaches and blurred vision in my second year in college. And I went to a doctor and the doctor just thought I was trying to get out of my exams, which I was. Pretty common excuse, yeah. But, uh, a good excuse. But I went to an optician and an optician sent me to the hospital immediately. He said, no, he was going to pay for a taxi, whatever. And that kind of, I was curious. Now, I had bad headaches and my eyesight was really bad. Yeah. I just thought, worst case scenario, I need glasses. And I went into the hospital and eventually someone took my blood pressure and it was incredibly high. So mm. I was put lying down. My parents were called in Ireland to get here quick because they were told this boy could have a stroke at any minute. His blood pressure is so high. Oh. And um, they did all the tests imaginable. And a few days later, my mother was beside me in the bed. They came around like 10 doctors, as you, as you often see on telly, a load of them. Yeah. And one guy said, I'm very sorry, but you've got chronic end-stage renal failure. Okay. And, and that didn't really worry me because I had never heard of any of them words before. Yeah. No idea. And then he said, your kidneys have, are failing. They've pretty much failed. And my mm. mother burst out crying. And I just looked at him and said, you know, it didn't sound good. I said, am I going to die? I said, no, 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 you're going to probably start a thing called dialysis and this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And it did. I started dialysis. And that's my story, really, from a healthy sports and fitness study student to chronic kidney disease in the space of about 10 days. And uh, I suppose uh, being a 20 year old, obviously, and getting that news, you, you're pretty, pretty sure you thought you were bulletproof as all we all did uh, at that age. Um, what kind of, I suppose, impact did it have? one on your studies but secondly on playing sport what was the and obviously you've gotten the diagnosis but what was the, the diagnosis around sport it, it was total in my head i i wouldn't play sport again i dumped my girlfriend i was going to give up college life was over because you know i'm darren Cawley and i'm a sports student and i play sport and i represented yeah kind of mayo and Connaughton boxing and handball and different things you know i was a sport that was my identity yeah. And then just snip, that's gone. That whole life that I had planned stopped dead there. And yeah. that changed over time. But I had to go into hospital every two days for dialysis to keep me alive. 
And here I am trying to study for my final year degree in sports, final year, which I did, but I had no heart in it. And in yeah. terms of the diagnosis, it was just, I didn't believe it. I thought they made a mistake. And any minute now they're going to figure out, I need glasses. It's not kidney failure <laughs> or something like that. So it, yeah. was a, it was a total upside down reversal of life for me. Very hard at the yeah. time. Yeah, I can, I can, I can see your point. Like coming from it, it's, it's like losing a, a sense of identity. Speaking from my own perspective, like it, everything revolves around sport and, and health and fitness from an early age, and it yeah. still does. And um, whether it's you know friendships or career or even just playing the game itself, um, like I can imagine, like you said, that your heart wasn't really in it. So whatever about the the physical aspect of the diagnosis what about the i suppose the psychological impact um i know it's affected your studies but in, in other aspects how did it how did it impact you well i think uh, go, thinking through my my whole as you were saying your sense of identity is all intertwined with who you are is what you do at the time and what i did yeah. was i was a sporty person we had set up a gaelic team so i had a huge circle of friends in that and I had all my friends and then the culture in college is you go for your few drinks and you do a bit of traveling and you do all this. And that was all taken away, you know, in that instant. So yeah. mentally, although I was in a state of shock and denial, I, I hadn't, it took me years to deal with that really. At the time, I can only say it was disbelief and I didn't know how to handle it. Yeah. I had no one to talk to about it. I was in a dialysis unit where the average age was 60 or 70. Wow. And I was yeah. this young guy in being kept alive by this machine and needles and all this. It was pretty harrowing, but I, I didn't think about it. I was just escapism, reading books, getting away from it yeah, at the time. I can only imagine sitting in the room there and it's usually like, I don't fit this profile. I suppose like even, even at that time, like within those within those 10 days, what I can only imagine, I know it's been a while now and there's been certain advancements. I'm sure you could fill us in a little bit later on on the advancements since then. But, you know, to get that news and, you know, what advice, if any, were you given um, as a 20-something-year-old at that point of this, you know, this is happening to you. This is the steps we need you to take and where you should go next. Was there anything or were you kind of left to your own devices to figure things out? I... I don't really have much memory of it, of any great advice I got at the time because it, it was so fast. Normally, people who get kidney disease, it happens over a period of years and maybe decades. You know, you have level one, two, three, mm. four, five is kidney failure, one and two, you don't even notice. Right. So it, because it happened so fast, there was no preparation. There was no, you can go this way or this way, or you can try this drug, it might prolong things, or try this diet. There was nothing. Yeah. It was too late. And that was my stubbornness as a 20-year-old West of Ireland guy not to go to the doctor or the hospital. Yeah. You know, I had headaches for a long time. But I'm a sports student and I was out running with friends and playing Gaelic football and I just headaches. Oh, maybe I'm going out too much or maybe I'm not sleeping well. Or you just make, create a different reality yeah. to avoid the possibility that something could be wrong. And that's something I try and get across to people. You know, mm. if you're not feeling well, get checked out by a professional. Absolutely. Because you don't know the long-term consequences of doing the simple, doing the right thing at the right time. And I didn't do that. Yeah. It's you say that it's part of, I spoke with, um, with you earlier before we came on, like about the teaching 
and asking certain students how often, or I, I always ask when we go in to do anatomy and physiology, when's the last time any of them have, have actually seen a doctor? And you'd be very surprised that, you know, some people are maybe you know, six months, some of them were six years. Um, and oh, even just to go in and get a regular checkup and blood tests done, I get mine done every, every six months, just as a regular checkup, wow. just to see part and parcel of everything's going on. If the earlier you can catch something, like you're saying, the, obviously the better um, particularly if there's something that that's not your feeling is not right but again like like you said a 20 year old you're out on the town having a few pints and stuff like that and playing headaches are a, a normal part and parcel of a, a, a college yeah. student's life moving forward from 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 that there and obviously with the diagnosis and you finished college what did you do where did you, did you see yourself going did you come back home did you stay in the uk or what was your next step? Yeah, I, I came back home. I finished college and I got my basic degree, which I thought was useless at the time because I couldn't yeah. do sport. And I went on the transplant waiting list in Ireland. And this is uh, 1999, a long mm. time ago. And in the year, two, oh, about nine months later, I got the kidney transplant. And, you know, wow. Yeah. It was amazing. Everything was working great. And that was a big turning point at the time, because obviously I thought whatever had happened to me the last two years, I can just put it aside, pretend it never yeah. happened and get on with a normal life of a young person. And that's what I did. You know, I ended up going to one of these transplant games. But after a year and a half, I picked up some sort of viral infection and my results were getting worse and worse and worse. And they had to remove the kidney. So I was going to spend the next I ended up spending the next nine years wow. on dialysis, as I say, the next nine years, every pretty much every two to three days a week in hospital. So that 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 was the hard point mentally because I knew what was yeah. ahead of me. I knew the challenges, I knew the difficulties, I knew the dietary restrictions, I knew I knew I'd be feeling crap most right. of the time. So that that was the big that was the big turning point really in terms of. I knew I had, I realized what was coming down the road and I wasn't going to get a transplant again for years because of some sort of viral infection. So that's where, where life kind of changed. I changed. I, I came to a place, I guess, of acceptance. I accepted this is my life now. How can I move forward with intent, yeah. with kind of personal development? How do I live a good life as a dialysis patient? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's kind of the next journey for me. That was the next yeah, stage. I can only imagine thinking, you know, you're out of the woods. You've got your transplant. Yeah. Like just going back to when you got your, your, your first, like what was the uh, mentally and physically, what was the experience then? How did it physically change you? What was the difference? Well, yeah. When you get a call, you know, you're full of excitement, imagine. full of excitement. You get straight to, in my case, we're in Ireland here. So Dublin, the Beaumont Hospital, they, they did the transplant. Again, I was young and heedless in a way, but like I didn't really realize at the time someone had passed away and I was getting their organ transplant. What age were you at this, this stage? Uh, 22, I think. Oh, okay. Still very yeah, young. 20, yeah. 22, I think yeah no 2000 yeah maybe 20 21 22 something like that when i got the transplant yeah so and again you have an operation you don't think about that but i had a scar you know about 25 staples i had a tube coming out my nose coming mm. out my neck coming out my arms i had a tube coming out where no tube should ever go yeah which was very uncomfortable but that was for a few days you know after about 
10 days to two weeks, you're let out of the hospital. You go back in every week for checkups. And then it's every two weeks, every month, every three months. And it was brilliant. You know, I was full of energy again. And you appreciate it because yeah. you know what it's like not to have energy or vitality or, or any sort of drive because dialysis kind of sucks that out of you. So it was a real great feeling to have a transplant and to look to the future with a sense of hope. Yeah, yeah. I can I can imagine they get the new lease of life basically just to yeah absolutely did you come back to sport then immediately after that or what was the well yeah the diagnosis or in terms of you know you're getting these new kidneys you want you to look after them so sport is a no-no or you know did you did no quite the opposite I suppose you know yeah. you're told like everybody be fit be healthy be active watch your diet but like a normal person yeah and less than a year after I got the transplant the Irish there was an Irish transplant games team going to Japan to the world transplant games okay. and I just kind of checked it out with the kidney Irish kidney association and yeah you're welcome to come along you have to do fundraising you've got to train you pick sports and I said all right this this mightn't be too bad. Like, yeah. you know, I, I said to myself, my body has set me enough challenges. It's time I set a few challenges for my body. And that was my outlook. At the same time, I was full of apprehension and fear and anxiety about of pushing too hard or training or will I damage the kidney? And they were all unfounded, thankfully. But I competed in cycling and sprinting. And I never, I cycled to school every day, you know, when I was younger, three or four miles, whatever. Yeah. And sprinting, like I, I did team sports and I had no time really for our boxing too, but like it was mainly team Gaelic rugby soccer. So like I had to be taught how to train for athletics and how to sprint off the blocks and all sorts of training like that. And it was, it was, it was a huge wake up call. It's one of the, the biggest things that changed my life in terms of mentality was going to the transplant game. How did that experience bring about change maybe obviously you talk with the, the, the mental side of it but when you're competing there you're against probably others like even tell okay. us about the the games itself so obviously the as we're recording here now the, the paralympics is on have you categories or you know what, what what sort of divide or who are you against yeah well there's loads of sports so it's basically now in context for cycling athletics there's bowling there's even darts now because a lot of people are older with kidney disease so you yes, can't have yeah. all the the usual they wouldn't be as fit and, and, and active but a good example a good turning point for me was the first event i did was cycling now as i said i cycled to school i like cycling i was just after getting the transplant less than a year where i was surrounded by people yeah. in their 60s and 70s in hospital so i thought i'd go to japan i'd bring my bike it was i know maybe it was 20 or it was 40 kilometer a short race I didn't do much training because I thought, well, it could be all old people and who knows, I might even win it, I was thinking, you know, I might win the thing. And the race, when I got to the race, it was 33 degrees heat and I had all this winter gear with me. And anyway, the race started and I, I, I gave it all. I went as hard as I could and I finished in third. Unfortunately, it was third last. I got absolutely destroyed by everybody because there was all these young people and they were yeah. they were athletes whereas at the time yeah. i was a sick person and i had the attitude of oh i have kidney failure you know i should be first okay, on the right. plane I, i'm sick you know and oh take it easy i'm my attitude my mindset was still in that hospital as a sick person and for the first time i encountered what i now call role models 
other people with the same illness as me, but with a totally different outlook and mindset. And that was revolutionary because I was surrounded by older people. I was told to take it easy, rest, don't do too much. Whereas I had kidney failure. I didn't have heart failure, lung failure. My legs were working. My head was working okay. So I, I learned that lesson that first time. And thankfully, I went to other sports. I did the one and the 200 meters and I got a bronze medal in both, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I was very fast. I was young. I was, you know, plenty of energy. So I was competing. Uh, two Americans came first and second, and there was Canadians, and there was people from Japan, obviously, and all over the world. And I made great friends, great experience. And I realized, stop being a sick person. Instead of being yeah. a sick person, I could go and be an athlete. It must have given you great confidence as uh, well, so coming away, even, especially, especially to have not gone in probably as prepared as probably most of the other athletes within it to, to pick up third in, in yeah. two different yeah. fields is, is amazing. Yeah, I was lucky. I did train a good bit for the athletics because I had a friend who kind of mentored me and he was a former All-Ireland winner in athletics. So he showed me. So I had a good a good head start there. But the cycling was just a, a funny story from now on. <laughs> That's all I can say. Yeah, about I'm it. sure you did. You compete again in, in future games after that? I did, yeah. One of my... Uh, I did the 100 metres usually and at the transplant dialysis game in Germany and in Dublin in the past, I won the 100 metres. Brilliant. And then some friend said to me, it could be a mutual friend of ours named Sonia Tracy maybe said it. Yeah. It was like something like, uh, oh, you must be the fastest sick person in Europe now. And that was just a nice, <laughs> light-hearted way. That's going to be the title of my book someday, The Fastest Sick Person in Europe. Europe. It's a good good tagline to have, all right? A good tagline to have, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I did go back and I did compete and I went back with more confidence and I won. And again, it's not about winning these games. You know, that's not the, the ethos behind the game. It's participation. It's highlighting the fact that you can live healthily with the transplant or with kidney disease or heart disease or lung disease. Yeah. And that you can be a role model for other people. And it shows the highest amount of respect you can for the donor family. Because obviously someone died to give me the transplant. And I'm showing them that they made the right decision in that i'm living a healthy good life yeah like you're yeah. saying it's it's even for me to have that just what you said there to, to realize that it's often a side that's totally forgotten about and um, mm. to possibly extend or give somebody a better quality of life obviously there's a death on some side and, and to repay the family in that way is it's, it's an actually it's it's a very good contribution to the story I, yeah, we all, we all we all think so, and we all hope so that the family takes all us. Our best day yeah. is is their worst day. Yeah, you know we can't forget. We never forget that. That's we good. And it's that. nice to hear to hear it recognize, and it's something that I I, I obviously yeah. never I never even thought about even doing the research for this, but the, the other side of of the story itself. So it's it's good to hear. Just going back to the the, the games themselves, just for people that wouldn't be obviously familiar, they might be hearing about it for the first first time. How is it organized? Is it run like we, we know that the, the Paralympics is run consecutively with the, the Olympics themselves? Yeah. So just a little bit about. Yeah, it's it's similar. Yeah, we're, we're looking at this. It's similar to the world. The, the World Transplant Games Federation, they run the World Transplant yeah. Games every four years. And then every four years is the European Transplant right. and Dialysis Games. And there, there's every two years, two, there's something on. So, And then you have Irish games, you have English games, you have American games, and they all tie into the world and European ones. So that's the format. They, they Only true at. conversations with yourself. Uh, uh, I, I wouldn't have been even aware of it because it's not something that 
might get a lot of media attention or even on social media platforms. It's not something that I've come across, particularly myself, unless you're obviously relatively involved in that community. So it, it's, it's probably something that could get yeah. a little bit more awareness. Well, that is the, the hope they're trying to promote as much as possible because the ultimate message is health and well-being for those who have adversity. Yeah. You live better lives. You're not sick as often. And of course, the, the donor awareness, promote donor awareness because that saves lives. Like I'm okay, I have kidney failure. If my kidney fails, I go on dialysis. But if your heart fails or your lungs or your liver, there's no dialysis machine. You either get a transplant yeah. or you don't. And that's not, you know, that's that's yeah. difficult. You know, I have a lot of friends that are not with us anymore because they didn't yeah. get a transplant. Yeah. Uh, even you're saying that creating that sense of community, probably friends that you've, you've made through the game. So again, there's another positive to that as well. Certain conditions, I'm sure, but obviously there's been great advancements since you've had yeah. had your own. But to share stories of your you know, bumping into people from, like you said, America or Canada or Japan, that they're sharing stories with maybe advancements in the other side of the world. Obviously, we're a little bit more connected now, but probably to help certain conditions or certain improvements or certain drugs or certain trials that are going on that, again, you're everybody sharing their life stories and possibly something that you could look into to further your condition or like to further help your quality of life again yeah you what you're mentioning there is all physical aspects of the disease kind of mm. that can be helped but for most people it's i found especially with some of the girls and the women i've known at the games and to hear stories that when you take certain drugs there's adverse side yes. effects and to hear two people communicating saying, oh my god did that happen to you too yeah yeah it happens to everyone and you go oh wow i'm not a weirdo these are natural things that happen and if you're not surrounded by other people, if you live like I live in the west of Ireland, there's not a huge amount of young people the same age as me mm. with the same condition. But suddenly you go to the games, especially 20 years ago, you're suddenly connected with all these different people who have the same set of experiences, but don't know that they're yeah. the same for everyone. And we really, really helped each other out. Uh, talking about things like side effects or what can you do? What can't you do? Can you go on holidays? Do you travel? Can you have a family? Yeah. All these questions can be answered over a conversation rather than talking to a doctor sometimes or a nurse. Now today we have Facebook groups and Instagram groups and all sorts of things. And every question can be answered pretty quickly, but certainly in the past, previous to yeah. the last 10 years, it, it was, you're invisible. You don't know what's going on. And it was yeah, much more Yeah, that was going to be my, my next question. You just answered it there, like with the, the community itself, obviously it spawned out probably social media yeah. um, and things and information is a lot more, accessible obviously and, and with the creation of groups and stuff like that but the mental side of it uh, i think probably you, you could tell me a little bit more and gets you know forgotten about okay you have this you know you might you're at the games you're you're physically doing better but you you still on a day-to-day -day basis like you're saying like you obviously you got a little bit mentally stronger more robust from being around these athletes and things like that but the day-to-day I suppose struggle or the, the mental aspect um, of the condition and you're probably in a, in a lot better a lot stronger place yeah. right now but for someone that's you know probably in their first six months kind of situation I, it's often hard like even like myself if uh, come some sort of closeness to the condition like if you had an injury like a broken leg or an ACL and you know everyone's just saying to you 
or further down the line, things are going to be, you know, you'll get back, you'll get things, they'll get better, they'll get better. But there and then yeah, and yeah. The now, it's, you know, you, you don't see that that end line. So what's it like on the getting to that point or that mental place where the day-to-day gets, you know, just to be yeah. the norm? Well, that, that it's like you, like you said, uh, it's something I've looked at a lot lately, as I was telling you, I'm creating a, a course for people with kidney disease. And the title very specifically was From Victimhood to Resilience. Because when you get something like kidney disease, it's not your fault. Like I wasn't into drugs. I didn't have an accident. Nothing happened. I just picked up some sort of viral infection. For some people, it's genetic. And it just hits you. Here you go. And it's not your fault. And you feel like a victim of this adversity that just came your way. And when you're talking to your healthcare team, they tell you like you start taking this drug and then you do this and then you do this machine and that thing and you walk out of the hospital and uh, sorry I know what's happening my physical health is going to be looked after but every dream yeah. and hope I ever have has just been taken away what am I where am I going what am I doing yeah. and that was ridiculous in a way because I, I was totally totally lost and I was a shy enough person <laughs> at the time not anymore, but I was very shy and yeah. I, I didn't know who do you talk to? You can't talk to your parents as such about it because yeah. they have no experience in it. I couldn't talk to the people in the hospital because the guy sitting beside me flew airplanes right. in World War yeah. Two. You know, he was in his 80s, you know, and it was fantastic hearing these stories, but yeah. we couldn't have been further apart. So that is a huge challenge to to turn the victimhood, to turn kind of the adversity yeah into resilience and Mm. that takes time you know it takes time to get used to this new body that's full of ill health it takes time for a new diet it takes time for the mental side of things to sink in and then to hopefully come out the other side Mm. a stronger more resilient person but uh it it was a long journey that certainly was a long journey yeah yeah it's 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 probably one side of the care that doesn't really get uh, there, there's been a probably in the last year there's been a bigger push to, towards mental health obviously with, with COVID and the situation everybody finds themselves in but it often gets overlooked in a lot of um, treatments for injuries or disease uh, I feel anyway um, obviously yeah. we addressed the initial problem but the, the secondary problem or the, you know secondary. after that doesn't doesn't really um, you know you're fixed or, or you're okay yeah. you've gotten to a level where you're secure in where you're at with your health so thanks very much good luck kind of situation yeah yeah your leg is fixed even though you you've just you've missed all your football your finals your competitions but at least your leg is fixed and you're kind of no my i missed out you missed the feeling of missing out i guess yeah, FOMO. Yeah. it's the same like you mentioned covid there like i didn't find covid that bad because i'm used to adversity i'm used to bad things happening i'm used to being mm. stuck in bad situations so yeah covid was not a problem for yeah. most people who suffered adversity because they, they've built up the coping skills and the resilience to deal with when bad things happened. Unfortunately, today, so many or so many of our population, they've lived a nice, cushy, easy enough life where things went well. And all of a sudden, bang, you can't leave your house yeah. for six months. You can't do this. You can't go out drinking. You can't go out for dinner. You know, they found that incredibly, incredibly difficult where for those of us that have went through adversity, We've learned the skills on how to overcome them and how to adapt and how to cope. So yeah, it was kind of a blessing in disguise that I was able to deal pretty well with the, the negative effects of COVID. Just from the 
you know, from, from the, the kidney failure disease point, does it COVID itself, is it any major impact on yourself or like, was it something that you had to be, you know, highly sensitive of, or what was the talk in the community around? I'm sure there is still talk about like regards COVID because it, obviously it's a, obviously more of a respiratory disease, but you know, people were, you know, really learning about it week on week or it tends to change here. The news tends to change every bloody week on, you know, how it affects different people differently, yeah. but what was the initial impact or, or thought or concern within? Absolutely. And I have my own community, the kidney yeah. community, and we were very well, we were kept up to speed by the Irish Kidney Association very well. So I used to get texts every day or every few days saying this is the situation. And I was comfortable with that. That was fine. And in terms of the vaccines, I was fine with that too. You know, we were recommended by our consultants and our doctors and uh, I, I trust them explicitly. They've kept me alive for the last 23 years. And so there was no problem yeah. with that at the time for me. Now there's the, the difficulty for family life. You know, you're not working. That was a challenge, but that's the same for everyone. I have two mm. kids and that was a challenge because I suddenly became the, the number one caregiver. I was the parent, the daddy, minding them all the time while my wife still worked a lot. So yeah. that turned out to be a massive blessing. We had a fantastic time. We went walking every day. I'm from a nice quiet part, just outside Westport. And she says, there's no better place to be in a, in a situation like that. We were in the countryside. We could walk everywhere. Mm. So I had no problems there. So the COVID from my community, well, it, there was a lot of fear, but I, I knew people who got COVID and I was in touch with them and they were doing okay. They were doing fine. Yeah. So I, I wasn't that fearful because I'm young, I'm fish, I'm healthy in my own head, certainly positive. So I wasn't too worried. It didn't yeah. kind of cause too much hassle for me. Okay, good. Yeah, well, that's it's good, good to know because, it, you know, there is certain people that are, are dependent on what advice you're taking. Like you said, it's very important to recognize that you're trusting the people that have kept you alive. You have a good track record, so there's no reason not to believe them. Um, yeah. in what they're saying, the advice that they're given. And I'm surprised to to hear that you, you got such good contact. Great that that often doesn't get brought to the front with within the media with any of the information that, that's that's out there. So that's very reassuring to hear that as well, which no. is great. Yeah, I just found that like I have to, people forget like uh, if my grandfather got kidney failure at 20, he'd have been dead at 21. So like we've got about 50 or 60,000 people working in pharma companies all around Ireland. Yeah. And to, for people to think they can't trust them to do this, to create this vaccine, to help themselves is just, it's an insult to all them people who are working within the pharma industry. Now they're not wiser than yeah. wise to have certain aspects going on. I'm sure at the higher end, but we, I, I'm a strong advocate for what they have done because yeah. I'm, for selfish reasons, I'm only alive because of that kind of research, that legacy of creativity within that industry, the pharma, biopharma, research colleges, they, they've, they're keeping so many people alive by the work that they are doing and what they have done. And people seem to forget that. They forget 50, 60 years ago, how many people died from the different diseases. And that's just forgotten about. And, oh, we don't trust them. They make too much money and all these conspiracy theories. But for me, it was very simple. You know, thanks very much for all you do. Keep it up, keep going, and I'll certainly trust you. Yeah, yeah. I think we, we discussed earlier before we come on there. I think the, the proven track record and the credibility tends to get forgotten about, particularly now in, 
social media terms for sure. Um, just on on to 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 tie things up there, just with COVID and like, what do you see the? I suppose from your perspective, like obviously with your course and stuff like that, moving forward with dealing with the mental impact uh, implications of certain things. Like, what do you think the the mental implications? Or the mental health implications of, of COVID are like, we're not going to see them. We're still dealing with it right now. We're a year, maybe a half into it. You know, what do you, what do you envision it's coming down the line? I, I, yeah, I suppose there's, there's pros and cons to COVID. The pros are so many people have kind of looked internally and looked at themselves and their lives, reevaluated and started to put themselves and their families first. Yeah. With so many people, moving to the the west coast of ireland to the countryside because they're looking for a better standard of living and they realize living in a small apartment with a family maybe isn't the best lifestyle choice for them and those they love so there's a lot of positives in terms of personal development personal fitness and health and that's fantastic people are taking responsibility for their own health and their own life and and running with that and that's great the other side is there's a huge amount of fear now because obviously in the media, you see all the negative stories, the people who have died, the, the, the challenges that have been out there. So there's, a, there's going to be a lot of mental and emotional issues associated with that. And that is a challenge that we don't understand. You, you know, you know, supposedly mental health by 2030 is going to be the greatest burden of disease in the Western world. Yeah. You know, so how are we going to manage that? So that's a whole industry that supposedly about to explode how do you help people with invisible illnesses the illnesses of the mind yeah and the effects that will have on future generations we have no idea Yeah, for sure people don't really think that well we can't you see it in individual cases where someone had a traumatic childhood they can take it out on their own kids and that it becomes a generational thing so huge amount of work and effort in terms of health and health promotion has to be put into society as a whole to try and try and help people overcome any of the fears and mental anguish they're, they're experiencing. Yeah. And it's not just for the betterment of them. It's for the long-term betterment of society. Yeah. And like you said, like it has generational impacts also as well. And I think personally speaking from, from, from my input on, on that sport and health and fitness is a, a huge impact, both obviously with tackling COVID and, the results of COVID um, long-term. So I definitely am a big advocate. I think there needs to be bigger investment and, and I suppose more, like again, obviously the health and fitness industry took a huge blow over the last year. But if we look at COVID and tackling it, I'm going to get on this the big road of going into obesity and the impact on that on COVID and how, how, it's, how it's impacted certain people. But like we have to really look at ourselves as a nation and moving forward with investment in the health industry overall, um, I think, and health and fitness and starting from the ground up. And that goes back to education within schools um, and to be talking more openly about particularly like in primary school or secondary school about mental health as well. Because I know even for myself, there was never even an open discussion within in the school system i don't put more pressure on teachers or anything but i mean even from you know getting outside help um or resources in as well so definitely i i would uh, i would agree with that yeah. going going forward uh, as a big thing because even no matter even the job you do like you're helping people become physically more active in that but it's much more than that oh, yeah. the side effects of a, a physically healthy person 
confident growth, uh, positive mindset, all is uh, the positive side effects of uh, health. That's the stuff we need to work on, not not just uh, the health of the nation as such, but it's it's removing the barriers to health. It's more like we're very lucky. We have greenways here all over the yeah. place, uh, more sports facilities. And in schools, more speakers going in, speaking on the mental and emotional aspects of life and rejection and resilience and how to overcome and develop coping skills. These are all the things we need to open up to give access to, to people so that like being happy and healthy are for me, they're the two most important things in life, happy and healthy. I am happy. I'm big into affirmations and that's one of the big ones. I am happy and healthy. You know, that's so important. Yeah. So it's to get people to understand that is what's important, not just searching for money or getting the right job or all these other kind of extrinsic yeah. things, but it's the internal workings of our own body and being happy and healthy. I think what you said there resonated with me. There was removing the barriers. I think that's a, uh... That's a that's a big big thing. That's what, what struck me with what you said there as well. So yeah, I'll definitely yeah. take that. As I, I, I just finished, I said I, I was telling you earlier I did a master's in health promotion. And one of the things you notice is we don't have a healthcare system, we have a disease care system. So we've put 90% of our money into waiting for you to get sick, and then we treat you fantastically yeah. well. We're fantastic at treating people, but not at preventing the illness in the first place, which is what you do, absolutely. You yeah, know? For sure, yeah, I'd agree with that. And that's a, that's a, hot, a hot topic for, for, for discussion, maybe for another time. But listen, give the listeners a little bit about how they can get in touch with you, how we can reach out to you, if any, anything we talked about today resonates with them, and how they can get in touch with you. And Well, yeah, well, I suppose first and foremost, darrencauley.com is my my website where I kind of have two two tiers as such. I create and help try and help people who have kidney disease. That's my niche. That's what I do. That's I have 23 years experience, yeah. 1800 dialysis sessions, two transplants. So that's one aspect. And then the other side, I do a lot of motivational and professional speaking, which is something I fell into organically. I was very lucky. I used to give talks in schools a lot on donor awareness to young people and overcoming adversity and how life is like this so don't get too upset when it's on the bottom and don't worry it'll come up again yeah and i spoke at the european parliament twice which was such a great honor but from speaking at the european parliament i got asked to speak at all these different companies and organizations so i fell into a a kind of role as a, a motivational speaker using the lessons from my adversity which was kidney disease to help people you know positive yeah. mindset overcome adversity resilience I, I speak a lot in pharmaceutical companies for the reasons we talked about. And that is, I kind of yeah. show them the end result of the product life cycle is a healthy patient. Thanks to the work you do, I'm here, marriage, kids, productive member of society, all thanks to the work to do. So that's something I deeply love speaking, standing up, trying to inspire, using the different stories I have of my own life, the ups and downs and the, the kind of, everything will be all right in the end and if it's not all right it's not the end yet you know just hang in there keep going yeah so that's where people can find me darrencauley.com and then your facebook linkedin i'm a big fan of instagram is something i'm working with slowly but surely Getting used to i do enjoy it but <laughs> yeah. it's it's a challenge to kind of constantly produce stuff for that Hard because work, yeah even you i'm a lot older than you even i'm in my 40s now so it's to try and learn these different skills to try and try and it's, you're not doing it for selfish reasons. You're trying to throw out some advice and guidance to people within your community to try and hopefully inspire them to live their best life. Uh, and I'll link, I'll make sure I link everything in 
at the bottom of this as well. So we can, if anyone's looking to, or even reach out to myself, no problem passing on, on yeah, all the details there to, to Darren yeah. as well. All right. Other than that, thanks a million for your time today, Darren. It's been great having you. I hope that your story um, touches on a couple of different aspects for some people out there as well. And yeah, I look forward to seeing you again somewhere down the line. Yeah. Thanks a million, James. Great to talk. Great to talk. Really hope you enjoyed today's show. Looking forward to another one next week with a special guest. And if you'd like to reach out to Darren in today's show, you can reach him at darrencauley.com or on Instagram or Facebook at Darren Colley.